Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church that's in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you'll be able to hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. Come on, can we thank the Lord for last year? Amen. And we celebrate what he's already doing today. Welcome to those watching, worshiping online. Uh, my name is Derek, and I'm the lead pastor here at Celebration. It's a joy to be with you. I just want to share a testimony. I hope it's okay uh, to the Franck family, but when we get testimonies, I tend to share them, and because uh, it's what God is doing. It's an awesome thing to celebrate. So today we're celebrating uh, Tony right over here. Got a good report, and I just want to share. It said he had an MRI last week, met with the doctor to go over the results. There's absolutely no cancer regrowth in his brain. Come on. So we thank the Lord uh, for that. And uh, they're grateful, and we're grateful for the miracle. God's doing stuff every week. You know, we don't have to manufacture it. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to exaggerate. God's doing it all by himself, and so we thank him for it. Well, uh, we've, we've got a guest speaker with us today, one of my heroes, dear friends in ministry. Uh, you'll see it there on your note sheet out in Garrison. Now, how many people know the sheet is empty, but his message is not? Come on. Uh, he's got a lot to say. Uh, Alton is a hero. He's been in ministry longer than I've been alive. He's preached in all all of my family's churches. He was an evangelist for almost two decades uh, out of Dallas, Texas, and then in Little Rock, Arkansas. Then he pastored a church, Little Rock, Arkansas. It's actually my mom's home church. My great-grandfather pastored that church. My grandfather pastored that church. My great-uncle pastored that church, and they didn't do good enough, so Alton pastored that church. Praise the Lord. And uh, so he's been an evangelist. He's been a lead pastor. Um, he was a district superintendent. He oversaw all the churches in the Assemblies of God churches in the state of Arkansas. There were some that were not part of the Assemblies of God, but he didn't oversee those. But uh, And then in 2005, 2005, Jeff Dio, who led worship today, was actually leading worship uh, in Denver, Colorado. We had our every other year business meeting of the Assemblies of God. Jeff Dio was leading worship, and Alton Garrison was elected to move from Arkansas to serve in the national office. So it was kind of like a reunion today. We didn't plan it, but the Lord knew what was going to go on. So before you leave today, we'd like to get a picture or you too, and we'll just remember 2005, 18 years later, Jeff Dio and Alton Garrison, we're getting the band back together. I want to be in the band. No, I don't. Okay. Uh, and they served over U.S. missions for the Assemblies of God, and then for 12 years, he served as the Assistant General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God, which is a lot of words to say he was the number two person in our fellowship, gave oversight to church ministries and different things. And then four years ago, he said, I don't want to do that anymore. That's kind of how it went, because we wanted him to keep doing it. But he said, I don't want to do it anymore. He said it nicer. He said, I'm not going to let my name be reelected. So, which I mean, I didn't want to do it anymore. And he said, I want to give the rest of my ministry life to helping churches. He wrote a book that is now uh, required reading, uh, coursework, called A Spirit-Empowered Church. And he said now he's taking that all across our nation, around the world, being a number of countries, training churches, training pastors on what it looks like to be an Acts chapter 2 church, to be a church that's more than marketing, that's more than branding, that's more than a social club, that we would be a spirit-empowered church. So he did that this weekend, poured into all of our team yesterday, and uh, I I'm so excited to have him, a dear friend, a hero, preaching for us today. Would you welcome Alton Garrison here this morning? 
Thank you, Pastor. It's a good day to serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. God is moving around the world, and you're part of a larger group that's really designed and dedicated to see the Great Commission fulfilled in our lifetime. That's a big deal. In fact, there are several evangelical groups, including the Assemblies of God, that believe that 2023 is a kind of a launch date for a decade-long emphasis with God's help to see every person on planet Earth have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. We've got the technology. We've got the opportunity, and I believe God's going to help us do it. I believe God's going to help us do it. And this church is a part of that. When you look up there and see all the blessings that God gave you last year, that's just the beginning of what's going to happen this next decade. Amen. Over $1.2 million to missions. That, that, that's, that makes this church a vanguard church to inspire other churches that they can do better, more for the kingdom of God. And none of that happens by accident. Now, you're all a part of it, but God gives you anointed leadership to help point the way. And I was with that team for the last couple of days, and they are amazing. A little weird (laughs) at times. But, no, they're they're great. But all of that led by your pastors. And I just thank God that he has placed a a young man and lady in this house that he has anointed to take you on a journey that if you follow him as he follows God, there's no telling what's going to happen at celebration. Amen. Could you give up a little applause and love to God for them? Now... Relationships. People ask me all the time, particularly when younger ministers are talking to me, because I'm kind of on the, you know, the downside, the backside of my life cycle. And so they'll say, if you could say one thing to younger leaders, what would you say? I said, well, your spiritual life is between you and God. We can't coach character. That's between you and God. If you've got a character flaw, you've got to let God take care of that. I can't help you. But I can tell you that you should never underestimate the value of a relationship. Do you know that the first crisis in history was not about sin? Somebody says, no, that's not true. The first crisis was sin. No, no, no. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. God's been doing the creation story. And he's been telling you, he did this on one day, and it was good. He did this on one day, and it was good. It was, he did this on day, and it was very good. And then he said something's not good. If God says something's not good, I want to know what it's about. <laughs> he said it is not good, chapter 2, verse 18, that man should be alone. Now, we take that really rapidly into that marriage 
scenario. And that's good. That's true. But if you stop after alone, you understand that before there was fallenness, there was aloneness. And you need to be connected. You say, well, I can have God help me at the house. I can watch TV in my pajamas. I don't have to come to church. No, no, no. I used to tell young people in camp when I was a youth speaker, how long ago was that? I used to tell them, now this is really deep theologically, so you don't have to just really put your thinking cap on to get this one. The banana that gets away from the bunch always is the one that gets peeled. Did you get chapter and verse? <laughs> I made that up, but I think it's true, don't you? <laughs> so I'm saying that the relationships that you build at church and the camaraderie and the connectivity, because it says there's a power of agreement, amen? <laughs> and so that's why we're all together and we're all in relationship. In fact, Relationships are bonded, begun, and bonded by history giving. So uh, I come to you. Uh, some of you didn't know I was going to be here. You thought pastor was preaching. You thought, why did I come up today? I could have stayed and slept another hour. <laughs> Three words I want you to kind of, if you want to write them down on your little blank page. First word is grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. So now God did take care of sin. He started with aloneness in 2000, Genesis 2.18. But he, in Genesis chapter 3, he talks about verse 6, sin was introduced. Verse 15, God took care of it. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And it's all started. Don't you love the Bible? I mean, it's, it's, it's such a precious book. <laughs> God's riches at Christ. So the whole story starts. Some of you know the stories of the Bible, but not a lot of people really stop and look at the story of the Bible. So I'm going to talk today in just a moment about a family that God created to out from that family. The whole human history blossoms out and everything we are today and what's happening in this room right now started way back there. It's an amazing story, God's grace. Aren't you glad, though, that he individualized it and personalized it? <laughs> and you've been the recipient. Mean, no, come on. How many of you are glad grace found you before the law caught you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, here's another question. You don't have to give me the details. In fact, I don't want to know the details, really. How many before grace revolutionized your life you were some sort of a scoundrel in some way or another let me see your hand look at there look at those hands lifted you wouldn't even want to sit by those people if grace hadn't have found them <laughs> but we've been changed and everybody's story everybody in this room's got a story Johanna sends her greetings. That's my wife. We've been married 46 years. But I'm telling you, it was God's grace. She was born in Holland. I was born in Texas. Two different countries. (laughs) 
her father, his dad, so it would be her grandfather, was killed in World War II in a Nazi work camp. They brought his clothes back to the family in a box. They were riddled with blood and bullet holes, and they said he died of natural causes. So they lost the father of the family. The mother and the sister, Johanna's father. Now, this is when he was just a teenage boy, 13 years old. They lived on a houseboat docked in the Rhine River in a little town, a little village called Lofair. 24 people lived in houseboats in that little area. It was attached to a little fishing village. One day, they were having lunch, and Hank, that was his name, her father, he was just a teenager, they, he heard, they heard planes flying down the Rhine. He goes outside, comes over to the bank. He looks up. They're allied planes. He starts waving at them because they are allied planes. They're friendly planes. They're supposed to deliver. They're supposed to protect. But somehow there was a mistake, a horrible mistake. It's a terrible blight in World War II history. If you can look it up on YouTube, it's called Operation Market Garden. They made a mistake. They thought the enemy was present. The enemy was not present. They lo- bombs dropped bombs. Bombs exploded, and when he fell into the dirt to try to protect himself, of course, they couldn't do that, but somehow, miraculously, he was spared, and when the bombs stopped exploding, he looked back, and the place that had been his home, his house, the houseboat that they'd been on just minutes before, was gone. It had taken a direct hit and exploded. He ran to the edge of the water looking for his family, looking for his sister, looking for his mother. He never found any evidence that his mother had been alive And then he found his mother, where he thought he was never going to find it. He waited in the water. It's hard for me to even understand what was going on. But somehow, unbelievably, he found a little piece of scalp floating with some hair attached. And then he found her Bible. His sister, he never found her. And he walked the streets of that little village holding the remains of his mother in one fist and that Bible in his other fist. And he was the only survivor. 23 out of 24 people on those houseboats died instantaneously. And everybody in the village died. He was the only survivor. Traumatized, stricken with grief, weeping, Fearful. Can you imagine the emotions? He bought into Satan's lie. Satan is a culprit who's always trying to separate you from that grace I've been talking about. And he shook his fist into the face of Father God, and he said, You're no God of love to me to allow this to happen. I promise I'll never bow my knee to you. I make this vow. I'm not trying to overgeneralize for that particular population, but the Dutch seem to be pretty resolute generally in their somebody shaking their head yes when they make a vow they mean it and he became an agnostic that day now his life and I, Johanna's written a phenomenal book in fact if you want to go on Amazon you can you can get a copy of it it's uh, called Tangled Destinies 
It's a phenomenal story of how he survived two concentration camps. And then he's sent by the Royal Dutch Army all the way over to Indonesia to fight in a revolution. And while he's there, he met Johanna's mother. She was raised in a, in a, in a Buddhist home and that was always already contaminated with occultism and all of that mixture. Thirty days after their wedding, his unit was pulled back to Holland, and she left with her new husband, never saw her parents again. Demon spirits literally trailed her all the way across the waters and began to torment her. I don't know what you believe about the powers of darkness, but the Bible says the thief cometh to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I believe there is a real devil. Amen. I mean, there were nights that she could not sleep. Johanna was the firstborn, and she said, my mother couldn't sleep because of fear. She's always afraid something's going to kill her. Somebody was going to choke her. So, I mean, she hid every thread. She hid every string. She hid every needle. She hid every knife, and thinking that somebody was going to use it to kill her. That was misery. Her father, Johanna's father, he was, he was bitter and angry because of the loss. Her mother was fearful because of the powers of darkness, plus their marriage was failing. And <laughs> that was how the family began to progress. And one day, some neighbor ladies that had been befriended Jan, that's Johanna's mother, that was her English name. They said, you're emotionally distraught. We're going to Amsterdam on a trip, an outing. Would you like to go? They said, you can join us. And she didn't know where they were going. She thought they were going to see the glitter of Amsterdam. I don't know if they tricked her on purpose. I don't know if they did it accidentally. I don't know if they just didn't tell her or she didn't understand. But somehow, instead of going to a bar or a party or drinking or whatever she thought they were going to do, they ended up in a Billy Graham service. <laughs> In a big old stadium with thousands of people. She didn't know who Billy Graham was. She'd never been in church. She'd never heard anybody preach from a Bible. She didn't really enjoy being there. She didn't want to be there. She went to see the glitter of Amsterdam. And yet Jesus appeared to her in that moment, and she saw a vision of him. He put his hand on her head, and when he touched her, something gushed out of her. All the sin and filth and gore that she had been carrying and all the bad feelings and all the fear. And when Billy Graham gave an invitation at the end of that message, she walked down that aisle, a Chinese Buddhist. She walked back up that aisle, a Chinese believer, changed by the power of Almighty God. Amen. She went home. She told her husband she thought he'd be excited. But this ter terrific thing that happened in her life, that was the God he was mad at. <laughs> he wasn't happy. But she said, I want to go to church. He didn't want to go to church. He had made a vow because she was persistent. They, they went to a little storefront church in Arnhem, Holland, where two missionaries from Stockholm, Sweden, had been sent by the Philadelphia church. And he started going to church with her. He didn't like God. He didn't like the church. But he liked people relationships. See what I'm telling you? And he loved potlucks. <laughs> he loved tacos. No, no, they ate, they didn't eat tacos. They ate raw fish or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> One day he was sitting in the back of a little service that they were having a home group and he was waiting for the meal. 
And the pastor said, I want everybody to kneel. And he thought, I can't not kneel because I'll look conspicuous. So he'd forgotten about his vow. So he just tried to keep from looking conspicuous. He knelt, and when his knee hit the floor, something happened. <laughs> See, he'd forgotten about that vow, but God hadn't. Grace. The second word is uh, providence. Everybody say providence. I call that supernatural scheduling. He was at the right place. She was at the right place. All of this could not have happened except God had arranged stuff that they had not planned. <laughs> just, just think about it. You don't know why you're here today, perhaps, or you didn't know what happened to you. And you have, have you ever had times when you intersected with someone or someplace that you hadn't planned and it was a God moment? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, supernatural scheduling. Well, it's a great story. He gets saved. When Johanna's 10 children had been born, they immigrated to the United States. They settled in western Kansas, started attending Simmons God Church. I went there as a single evangelist, and I got to meet Johanna, and we got married. Selah. My story's not nearly as exotic as Johanna's. I mean, I just told you, you know, Buddhism, occultism, war. I'm from Sour Lake, Texas. <laughs> Little town in southeast Texas. My dad was a high school dropout, started working in the oil fields of southeast Texas, became addicted to alcohol. They didn't have children after he married Mama for about seven years. In fact, he was 12 years older than her, so that was kind of an interesting. He led her in a lifestyle. I was somewhat of a shock to the system when I was announced. Six months before I was born, they'd been coming from a party. He'd been drinking. He was pretty dysfunctional by this time, and he thought, I'm going to have a son, maybe, and I can't be a father in this condition. He'd been trying to quit drinking, but he had been unsuccessful. He's driving along that day. they come in from this... Uh, this party, and he had been drinking, and he thought he was having a heart attack. He had pains and perspiration, and he was frightened. He thought, I'm going to die, and I'm going to wreck this car, and it's going to hurt this child. It's going to hurt my wife. So he, without mom ever knowing at that time, he knew and told her later, but he, he slowed the car down, thinking, if I get it slow enough, I'll just roll the car to the stop if I die, and she won't suffer any impact. But he, during that moment, said... She didn't know what was going on. Under his breath, he said, God, I don't know how to pray, but Mama used to pray. And if you heard her prayer, maybe you'll hear my prayer. Spare my life to see that child. Heal me, in other words. Then he said, if, this is the most unconventional conversion prayer I ever heard of in my life. He said, if I ever take another drop of liquor as long as I live, I want you to poison me and let me drop dead. <laughs> Nobody negotiates with an addict. They'll tell you anything. They make all kinds of promises. You, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but Jesus, he's not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. Amen? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're in this room right now, if you're listening or watching online right now, if you're not straight with him, if you've got an unconfessed sin, if think, all you got to do is call on him. And even now, before I even finish this message, you can be radically changed by the power of Almighty God. He went from sot to saint <laughs> in one second. Isn't that good? That's a miracle. That's grace. He starts going to church. Two sisters, two sisters, his two sisters, they'd started a little church with a pastor. Not an AG church, but a little independent church in Sour Lake. And this pastor only stayed eight weeks. They needed a pastor, so they, there was, in 15 miles away, there was a, a pastor of a church. They called him a bishop over about 100 churches. And so they said to my dad, will you drive us over there? We want to get a pastor, and we believe Brother Hodge can get us a pastor. So they go over there. My dad's standing at the back. Those two, my two aunts, they're sitting at a chair, and they're talking to Pastor Hodge, and he's kind of the bishop over all these churches, and they're telling him they need a pastor. And in the middle of the conversation, my dad... Standing at the back, they, he, he points at my dad and he says, the Holy Spirit just told me, there's your pastor. My dad looked around and said, I just drove the car. <laughs> he hadn't been saved 12 months yet. He said, no, 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 the Holy Spirit told me. His sister said, he can't be the pastor. I mean, he hadn't finished high school. He'd never been to, I mean, they said, we, we know him. We're not sure this salvation thing's going to stick, so how can he be our pastor? Brother Hodge says, you all go home, pray about it. When God speaks to you, come back, and I'll ordain him. Two weeks later, they went back, and he ordained my daddy. <laughs> now, you don't do it that way. That's not right. <laughs> In fact, you just heard your pastor say, I was part of that group down there in Springfield that created all these hoops for people to jump through. <laughs> right, Jeff? <laughs> But sometimes God will make an exception, and he'll take the unqualified, and he'll qualify them. <laughs> Aren't you glad? I just saw you lift your hand a moment ago. Some of you were scoundrel, but Jesus qualified you in a heartbeat, and now you're not a scoundrel anymore. Come on. God can change you in a moment's time. I'm, I'm okay with behavioral modification. But don't you love the miraculous power of God? <laughs> well, they appointed him pastor. He'd never preached a sermon. He goes back. I mean, it was a little church. I mean, wouldn't seat 80. I mean, it's a little church. Nobody there when it started, just my family, his family, his two sisters. <laughs> Mom and dad stayed there 22 years. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Mom, dad's been in heaven a long time. Mom passed 96 years old. We went back to that little church to have her celebration of life service. When I walked in the door, the memories just flooded. I hadn't been there in years. I saw the altar where I got saved at six and a half years old. I looked over in the corner and I saw the piano, a little spinning, looked, looked kind of like that one. Although that's a fake one. There's something else inside there. Don't let them kid you. 
<laughs> Deception still lives. I just want you to know. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have told them that, but that's all right. Y'all can take it. They assured me it wasn't the piano that I played when I was eight years old. I was the church pianist when I was eight years old. Dad said, you're our new pianist. I said, I'm only eight. He said, we don't have anybody else. You've been taking lessons, haven't you? I said, I've taken a couple. <laughs> he said, well, the lady's been teaching you. She's a church pianist. Her husband's transferred out of town, taking a new job. You can... You're it. I said, I only learned one song. He said, don't worry. We'll sing it every week. <laughs> <laughs> He said, then you, you, you play the song you know, and then you sit there on that piano bench, and you pray for God to teach you how to play those other songs while we sing them a cappella. Now, you know what a cappella means. That's a Latin phrase. It means we don't have a piano player. That's what that means. <laughs> I'm just saying, providence. The end of Dad's life in ministry wasn't near as miraculous as the beginning. He contracted a disease that's pretty diabolical. There's no known cure even to this day. The end of that little journey ends with total mental incapacitation. They called me. I was out preaching, and my brother-in-law called me, and he says, uh, they think that your dad is not going to make it very much longer. You need to get home if you're going to see him before he passes. I was walking into the hospital room when Dr. Redfern was walking out, and he stopped me, and he said, uh, Reverend, I know you probably already know this, but your dad has no cognitive ability left. His upper brain function is gone. His lower brain function is gone. I've been taking care of him for quite some time, and um, really, you know, I knew that. I mean, if you've seen that downward spiral, he had... Uh, for months, not been able to speak intelligently. He had lucid moments sometimes, but then he didn't, and now he was never lucid. And then four months before, from then to that day that I was there, he hadn't made a sound, not a sound. The doctor said it's physically and medically probably impossible for him to make a sound. But it's not your father I'm concerned about. We're going to keep him comfortable till he passes. He said it's your mother that I'm concerned about. She's been the caregiver for the last eight years. That's how long our journey with Alzheimer's was. And she is emotionally and physically depleted. I can sense it. I don't know how to help her. She won't take any medicine I give her. You're going to have to do something. And he walked away. I stepped inside, and I found out later that my sister and my brother-in-law and my mother had gone to the cafeteria down there in the hospital to have some lunch, and Dad was lying in, a, in his bed, such a frail, frail person now, in a fetal position, 87 pounds, draped on a six-foot frame, his eyes kind of milky, glassy, looking but not seeing, and the devil spoke to me. It wasn't an audible voice. I think you know what I'm talking about, the communication. It was not me, my thought. It was not God for sure. It was that adversary who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he said, why, how do you preach faith when your father's laying here in this condition? 
How do you tell people that God is a good God, that he loves them, that he cares about them, that he'll help them, that he'll heal them, that he'll bless them? When your father, look at the sacrifices he made and he pastored a little church and then didn't have any retirement money, just a little Social Security. Look, look, look how God's treated him with all of his faithfulness and the contribution he's made. To, I mean, that's the devil, isn't it? Doesn't he try to ask you the why questions? It may not be the same as what I heard, but it's similar if you've ever had pain that won't go away. If you've ever had unanswered prayers. If you've ever had a situation you couldn't solve. If you've ever had a relationship you couldn't mend. If you ever had a marriage you couldn't fix. If you ever had a kid you couldn't get to do right. You had a grandchild that was on drugs. I don't know what your problem or your pain may be, but whenever it comes, if it hangs on and there's something seem to be an answer, the devil will show up sooner or later with, if God really loved you, why would he let that happen to you? That's his portfolio. That's his business. To try to drive a wedge between you and Father God to separate you from your only source of glory, your only source of blessing, your only source of strength. That's what he does. I didn't know what to do. I just quoted scripture. That's what you do, really. I quoted a scripture, and I'd feel better. And then I'd look at my dad and look at the condition he was in, and I'd feel worse. And then I'd quote another scripture, and I'd feel better. And then I'd look at him, and I'd feel worse. And, you know, anybody know what I'm talking about? You can feel good for a while, and then some days you don't feel good. And then some days you feel saved, and some days you don't feel saved. And some days, oh, come on. You say, well, you're a preacher. You're not supposed to experience that. Well, we're about half human, too. <laughs> so I finally got over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a good one if you ever need it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, We have a tabernacle not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. Hallelujah. I just spoke out loud. I said, devil, you can't win this one. <laughs> that tabernacle, that tent, that earthly body, that, 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 that may just wither and fall away, but that doesn't mean they're gone. <laughs> that doesn't mean they're dead. If my dad's eyes close in death in the next three seconds, he's just going to step from one plane of reality to another plane of reality, and when he wakes up, he's going to be in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on. That's what it means to be a believer, to be a Christian. You're never going to die. You're going to live forever. Come on, saints. I got my victory. I walked outside, and mom and my sis and my brother-in-law were standing out there. They heard me inside. I guess I'd been a little noisy, and they didn't want to come in. And mother looked at me. She said, son, what are you doing? I said, I've been in there praying for pop. She said, why? It won't do any good. I said, what do you mean? She said, when you need God the most, son, he'll turn his back on you. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. She said, son, we've been praying for him for all these years. You know, I didn't have time to tell you all the stories. I told you a little bit about the miraculous beginning. He, 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 during his early years of his pastorate, he had an accident. A horse fell with him, broke his neck. He was paralyzed for three months. The doctor said he'd never walk again, couldn't even move a finger, lay in the hospital for three months, couldn't even move a finger. Jesus walked in and touched him and healed him, and he <laughs> walked down that aisle of that church later, and they were singing victory in Jesus. Amen. I'm so we just believe when he got Alzheimer's, we'd pray and he'd get healed. That's what had always happened. But not that time. Not that time. 
And now she's standing there telling me, we've been praying for years, and it gets progressively worse. She said, he's not just my husband, son. She said, he's my pastor. I need him to tell me everything's going to be all right. I need him to encourage me. I need him to talk to me. And I haven't been able to talk to him in months. All of my ability to communicate is gone because he can't respond. And now he hadn't made a sound in four months. She said, it's a joke. That's what it is. Then she did something I could never have anticipated. Not from her. She pointed her finger in my face and she said, don't you ever pray in my presence again. Now, you don't know Elise Garrison. You didn't know her. You hear those words, you could have a whole variety of thoughts and none of them would have been good. You say, well, you know, she wasn't even a Christian. No, she was. Oh, she walked away from her faith. No, I didn't know that. I mean, she was introverted for sure, but she was a prayer warrior. And she walked lockstep with my dad. If he fasted three days, she fasted three days. If he fasted seven, she fasted seven. And now I'm hearing her say things that sounds like blasphemy to me. I mean, what am I going to say? Mom, you know, really, the glass is not half empty, it's half full. That's, you know, when you're struggling and you're hurting, some people walk by you at 30 miles an hour patting you on the back. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. You just want to slap them. <laughs> They're not helping. <laughs> so if you've if you got a friend that's hurting, sometimes you don't need to say anything. Just be there. Just be there. Show up and shut up. <laughs> Excuse me. I was a little plain, blunt there. So show up and love them. <laughs> that was the addended version. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Just what, what am I going to say? I just got in the car, and I'm driving, and I'm crying, and I'm venting. I don't think it was a prayer. I'm venting, and I'm saying, God, Dad's going to be all right if he goes to heaven. I'm not Mom's judge, but I could tell that something was bad and wrong. And I thought she lost her faith. I think she thought she lost her faith. Man, when you lose your faith, that's pretty bad. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. What service not of faith is sin? Romans chapter 14, verse 23. The soul that sinneth it shall die, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. Now, I wouldn't have judged, but I could tell you if you lose your faith, something bad is wrong, and I don't know if you can make heaven or not, but I'm not the judge. But I was frightened. See, I think she actually thought it. Do you know that I read a, state, a status the other day, a, a statistic that said 60% of all atheists today were raised in church-going homes. So they had knowledge, but somehow they had lost faith. 
Maybe they had enough faith to turn around. I don't know. Because I think the Holy Spirit talked to us and told us and taught us that it wasn't her faith she lost. It was her hope. And that's what I want to pass on to you today. When you're struggling and the devil's tempting you to walk away, tempting you to give up, tempting you never to come back to church, tempting you to quit reading the Bible, you think that you've lost your faith. You may have enough faith to turn it around, but what maybe you have lost is your hope. See, my mother's hope tank was on empty. That needle was pegging E over there. You say, well, what's the difference between faith and hope? Faith, hope, and love. Three great qualities that Paul talked about. I've heard a lot of sermons on faith. I've heard a lot of sermons on love. I've not heard many sermons on hope. In fact, some people in the business community speak of hope in pejorative terms. Hope is not a strategy, they'll say. Well, what is hope? Faith. The Bible says you're given a measure of faith when you're saved. That's the event. The Bible says you can grow your faith, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing the word of God. So the more of the Bible you read, the more of the Bible you ingest, the more of the Bible you study, the more of the Bible you memorize, you do this daily, incrementally, whenever, and your faith grows. So you can grow your faith. It's kind of like education, right? Like learning. You study, take a test, you know it, you learn it, you get more. Faith's kind of educational. If faith is educational, hope is more emotional. If faith is related to miracles, hope is related to morale. Because, see, by definition, hope is an expectation that a desire, a dream, or a goal will be achieved. It's a feeling of excitement that something's about to transpire. It is a favorable, confident, happy anticipation. If faith explodes night into day, defeat into victory... If faith is the dynamite, hope is the fuse. Without the fuse, the dynamite is worthless. So hope is that catalyst. See, it's easier, I believe, for the devil to discourage you mentally than it is for him to defeat you scripturally. He can manipulate a circumstance, but he cannot alter the Word of God. The opposite of hope is hopelessness. To have no expectation, to reach a place of despair that results in despondency and ends with giving up. You take away a man's wealth and you hinder him. You take away a man's health and you handicap him. You take away their hope. You paralyze them. You stop them dead in their tracks. Romans chapter 13 verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. See, we got people all around us. Look what's happening in the world today. Look what's happening. What do you think's happening in Ukraine? People are hopeless. Look what's happening when they look at their 401k. <laughs> hopeless. We've got a lot of hopelessness. See, there's a lot of people that have given up. They may have enough faith to turn it around, but they've lost hope. See, between the time God gives the promise and the time that promise is fulfilled, there's normally a lapse of time. And it's during that lapse that Satan challenges you so much. So how did my mother get there? 
How does someone go from being a godly pastor's spouse to shaking her finger in my face saying, don't ever pray in my presence again? How, how does she get there? I think the first thing that will happen is that you start questioning God's promise. When you start questioning God's promise. Let's give it a kind of a scriptural underpinning. Genesis chapter 12, there's a guy named Abram. He's 75 years old, and he gets this promise from God that he's going to have a son, a promised son. And from that son, he's going to have a lot of descendants. And there's going to be so many descendants that he's going to become the father of many nations. So all of God's program, all of God's program from then to now flowed out of that original promise. The rest of Genesis, the rest of the Bible has as its theme how God will bless the world through the offspring of Abram or Abraham. Despite God's promise, Satan began to spin a web of doubt. So it's that web of doubt that gets you to start thinking, maybe God didn't say it. Maybe it can't happen. I mean, when we get to a scripture I'll read in just a moment, it's 25 years down the line from that promise, and he's 100 and still no promised son. Now, there's our problem. Impatience. Impatience. We can't wait 25 years. Sometimes we can't wait 25 months. Sometimes we can't wait 25 weeks, 25 minutes. Shall I go to 25 seconds? <laughs> you say, well, I'm not impatient. <laughs> How many times you ever stood in front of your microwave oven tapping your foot because it wasn't working fast enough? <laughs> Come on. Huh? <laughs> you let that light turn green and you don't move fast enough? They're honking four cars back. <laughs> Go to Walmart. Express line, 20 items or less, and you're counting that dude's items in front of you. They get to 21, 22, 23. You'll lose your anointing for four days over three extra can of beans. <laughs> Come on. It's a matter of do we trust God or not? We're wired a little too tight, aren't we? See, our problem is that we, many times we're microwave Christians and we have a crockpot God. <laughs> See, we're into flash frying. God's into simmering and marinating. <laughs> We want everything right now. No delayed gratification. We want it now. And God says, go tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Come on. We are impatient. Second thing that will destroy hope is when you think it's up to you to activate the promise. Now, God wants your involvement, but he does not want your flesh. 
Abram was 85 now, 10 years down the line. The promise hadn't been fulfilled. And Sarah said to Abram, Genesis 16, verse 3, Behold, now the Lord hath prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, my slave. And it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And he allowed Sarai, later known as Sarah, to attempt to solve a sacred promise with a carnal action. And Hagar bore a son named Ishmael. And we've been dealing with that ever since. Here's another reason, third reason that you might lose hope is when you start reacting only to what you see. When the devil gets you to consider the what-if game. You look and it looks bad. It still looks bad. It's looked bad for a long time. What if it doesn't work? What if he doesn't hear your prayer? If God really loved you, why would he let that happen to you? Even Abram at his old age. God actually changed his name to Abraham. And you know what it means? Abram means, means exalted father. Abraham means father of many, a bunch of people. See, it's a matter of focus. What you see may be totally deceptive as to what's going on. What you see is a piano, an old, beat-up, spinet piano. What you don't see is a whole electronic, computer-organized, unbelievably technical, very highly motivated <laughs> keyboard. So what you see is not what's going on. You remember that prophet? The armor bearer came and said, there's too many people against us. And God said through the prophet, open his eyes. The Bible says we're encamped about with angels. I don't know where they are, but they are working in our behalf. Amen. They're working in our behalf. Twelve spies went to check out the land. You remember the story? Forty days. Ten came back and said, the wall cities are too tough. We can't navigate them. The terrain is too rough. We can't walk on it. And the giants are so big that they are so big that they are so big that we look like grasshoppers in their sight. And we are grasshoppers in our own sight. Now, you got to get pretty low on the self-esteem mole if you call yourself a bug. <laughs> Caleb and Joshua comes out, and they got a whole different perspective. Their minority report's fixing to trump that majority report, and they got all these fruit hanging over their 
grapes are hanging on there. I mean, they got, and Moses says, what's your report? With God, we're well able to possess the land. Now, if I'd have been Moses, I said, did you go where those 10 went? Did you see those giants? Didn't you see how big those giants were? Didn't you see the size of those giants? And they said, yeah, but don't you see the size of these grapes? <laughs> so they were grape conscious, and this bunch was giant conscious. It's a matter of focus. It's so easy to get your eyes on what is wrong instead of what could be. Come on. <laughs> well, how do you do that? How do you get the kind of hope? Well, I've told you the definition of hope. I've told you how hope is destroyed. Let's wrap it up. Romans chapter 15. When I get there, just wait for me because Romans chapter 4 tells how you get that transition. See, see, it's, it, I'm not going to ask you just do it. You have to have a transition. First of all, you got to decide your own focus. Look at verse 19 of chapter 4. We're now 25 years down line from the promise, okay? He's now 100 and she's 90. And he says in verse 19, he's not denying reality. So all of this that I'm telling you in this transition, I'm not asking you to be presumptuous. I mean, we had people teaching you that faith was presumption. You got a cast on your leg. You walk in. Somebody says, what's wrong with your leg? You say nothing. Well, you got a cast on it. I'm not confessing it. <laughs> oh, that's a whole nother lesson. Go ahead. I know I've hurt your feelings. But, 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 but it didn't matter what you're confessing. If you got a broken leg and you got a cast on, it's reality. Come on. <laughs> he didn't deny how old he was. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was about as good as dead since he was 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. That's reality, right? How many know that sometimes you just get in a mess? <laughs> so what do you do? Look at verse 18. Look at it. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Why? Because there was a promise way back there. God's word had said it. But then look at verse 17. Here's his action. In hope he believed against hope. Verse 17 says, I've made you the father of many nations. That's the promise. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead. <laughs> Come on. Who gives life to the dead. You may look at your finances and they look dead, but God can give them life. You may look at your health and it looks dead, but God can give it life. You may look at your relationships and they look dead, but God can cause it to come back. Come on. God is a God of resurrection and life. Amen. And he calls into existence those things that do not exist. He knew that he served the God that was the creator of all mankind. And so if there was something that was missing out of her body that was necessary for her to give birth to that child, God could create it. If something was broken, God could fix it. If something was sick, God could heal it. Come on, if God needs to create something in your world, get ready. Providentially, he has supernatural scheduling. He can put you at the right place at the right time. So you want to know how to... Develop hope. I got the transition. Now here's the answer. Romans 15. 
May the God of hope, who's the source of hope? I said, who's the source of hope? If God's the source, how many believe hope's going to be all right? How do you know? Because his past performance is an accurate predictor of his future behavior. May God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that's faith, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So the source of hope is God. The substance of hope is faith. The supply of hope is the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Wouldn't you like to have been with her, Sarah, when she went to the doctor's office? She goes in there and sits down in this room, and all these young women are in there giggling and glowing, and one of them looks over and says, Grandma, you're in the wrong room. We're having babies in here. They're giving out Geritol down the hall. <laughs> she said, oh, no, I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> well, you're 90 years old. I know. How are you going to do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Pastor says that Ephesians 4 says that his job, the staff's job, is to get you to work. <laughs> he wants the <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> that they're supposed to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Come on. <laughs> You say, well, I'm not qualified. I, I don't have the ability. I, I've made too many mistakes. I'm not educated. Come on, if my father could pastor a church totally unprepared, totally uneducated, never been, and I'm not saying that's the right way. I believe in education. I've written books. I've tried to teach people. I'm all that. I'm all for it. But sometimes God makes oh, an exception. Moses stuttered. That's not a great leadership gift. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. That won't look good on your resume. <laughs> Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. That'll hinder your ministry. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Moses was a murderer. Paul was a murderer. John, Paul had a short fuse. Moses had a short fuse. Look around. <laughs> I'm not saying you got a short fuse, but I'm pretty sure that you're not a saint yet. I don't see any... <laughs> God can hit good licks with crooked sticks. Come on. <laughs> Come on, somebody say, yeah, that's me. <laughs> you say, well, I'd never be like your mother. I'd never say, don't ever pray in my presence again. I hope not. But if your tank is not on full, you could use a dose of hope today. Would you like to top off your tank? You say, well, I need a little more joy. It's available. I need peace. I'm having struggle sleep. It's available. I, I need some optimism in my life and a little faith. It's available. I just need some joy. I need some, I need some positive. I just need joy. It's available. How? Why? By the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how God's going to bless celebration. That's how God's going to bless your family. That's how God's going to change your life. That's how he's going to make it better. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you'd say, Alton, I'm ready for that dose of hope. On the count of three, I want you to stand to you. Now, this is not about your salvation. This is about your emotional well-being. This is about the joy. This is about your level of happiness. This is about your hope. <laughs> salvation, that's another issue. 
But this is about, do you want to walk out of here promise conscious or problem conscious? If you want to walk out of here promise conscious, on the count of three, stand up. One, two, three, right now. <laughs> you say, well, I wonder why everybody else is standing. Don't worry about them. God can give all of us a next-level potential. I said, God can give all of us a next-level potential. Would you pray with me? Can I lead you in a prayer? Can I lead you in a prayer? I know you can pray, but, but, but may I lead you in one? Don't be timid about this. I mean, kind of give it a little gusto, okay? Dear Jesus, I'm grateful that I've received that grace that came when I was saved. When I got saved, I was getting prepared for heaven for the sweet by and by. Now I know I'm ready for heaven. I need help living in this world in the nasty now and now. Holy Spirit, you supply hope. So by your power, I receive my dose of hope right now, right now, right now. Amen. Come on, receive it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I want you to tell him how. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you the evidence. Stand right there. When mother went back in the room four days later, she said, I felt the presence of God. And I heard his voice. He's going to talk to you. Now, she died at 96 years old. And she died living seven years in a nursing home. But from the time she did that to the time she passed away, that one event four days later changed her life. And she heard the voice of God say, get ready, your husband's going to talk to you. She said, it's impossible. But when she pulled a chair next to the bed, she was transfixed watching him, and all of a sudden, he said, when he hadn't spoken in four months, he said, get ready, honey. God still answers prayer. God still answers prayer. And her hope tank went from empty to full. The, the administrator of the nursing home said, till the time she passed away, she walked on a walker and she would go from room to room bringing hope to people. 
because of the power of the Holy Spirit. If he's done it once, he can do it again. If he's done it once, he can do it again. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or for the tenth time, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.